This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. From the very beginning, he knew he was going to be an entrepreneur. From the very beginning, he dreamt big. Opportunities came to him in abundance and he flirted with all the options. Gift items, paper bags, wrought iron furniture, television and more. In 1998, he started a garage with a borrowed capital of Rs. 50,000 and by 2011, he had created an empire valued at Rs. 2,000 crores. Neeraj Gupta, at age 32, was the founder and managing director of India's first and largest radio taxi, Meru Cabs Company Private Limited. Welcome to the show. This is called Meri Kahani, Game Changers. Thank you, ma'am. I would be very curious to know what happened to you as a child. What kind of a childhood did you have? What was your home surrounding like? What did your father do? So that I understand that how you evolved to be the person you are. Sure. So, Bhano, we were from a very middle class family. We lived throughout in the suburbs of Andheri. And uh, there was this MIG colony where we grew up from the age of 5 till I think 25 we stayed in that colony. So, it was predominantly a Maharashtra colony and most of the Maharashtra people stayed there. And uh, my father... He had a restaurant business which he had leased it out to some shetty and my mother was a homemaker. So this, you know, during our childhood, I think uh, one thing that we, we always did was we bonded very well with the society members. Being a middle class society, uh, people love to get together, people love to come down in the evenings, talk and that was a space where I actually felt that I could explore myself. in doing things like organizing dandiya festivals organizing new year festivals organizing a lot of ganpati festivals and that is what i started probably at the age of 10 so started organizing these festivals in society and by the time i was probably 13 or 14 we were actually going out and taking sponsorships and getting people to sponsor our programs society people used to come from outside the society and join so i think that entrepreneurial strength started very young and that is the time i think the foundation of entrepreneurial journey was it because it seems that when your uh, other friends after your schooling uh, or after your college because you done graduation right. were planning to further studies and post graduation and ibm or whatever you were thinking of becoming an entrepreneur right now isn't it rare well so no bana let it be my mother's side or let it be my father's side everywhere everyone was in business so nowhere as far as i could see was in any kind of job so since childhood uh, i was very clear that i will also be doing the business what business i never knew and even when i got into college i was pretty confident ki i'll be making a lot of money i am not going to do a job so i won't have to worry of how will i make a living i'll be flying business class i'll be you know so that was a thought which i always had from childhood and when i got into college also there was no such thing that you know okay i have to excel in my studies and uh, i was honestly quite a notorious child and 
didn't want to study much and uh, that is how i think uh, throughout my childhood and during my college days i was very clear ki job to karni nahi hai uh, whatever i do i will only do a business and um, that is what probably led me into getting into business you're the only son in the family right. you have two sisters one older than you and one younger than you is it because you wanted to be rich and famous that you were thinking of all these uh, ideas was it important to you not at all bhavna in fact you know money never led me into doing anything in life money was never the reason or contention for getting into business i always enjoyed leading things i always enjoyed creating things so let it be in college if i there was time when when i was in 11th standard i started writing on rice grains and um, i could write as many as four to five words on one grain of rice and then stick it on a toothpick put it in a homeopathy bottle uh, and i could it quite could write happy anniversary so and so wishing you lots of love so and so and some person who through a friend of mine saw this he started buying it from me and he started supplying it to rc's gallery and during my college days i was making tons of money by selling this artwork that i used to do writing on a piece of grain of rice it must be a, a very a patience driven task yeah i think patience is some a virtue that i think i always carried and that is something i feel is my strength and till date i've always believe that patience is something which is has to be inbuilt in every human being and yes patience is the key to whatever you do in life so uh, after college what was the first uh, business you did some paper bags or something right so um, just to give you a background so while i was in college i fell in love with my wife now and she was my girlfriend then and during college itself she started working for jetways she got a job to jetways and and i somehow scraped through my graduation i didn't want to study after that because my job was then to go to the airport to drop up and then go to the airport to pick her up so that was keeping me occupied <laughs> <laughs> and you know that was i was i used to feel oh, i'm so busy because <laughs> this thing was like okay i have to reach the airport at once for time so <laughs> and uh, actually going 7 days a week 365 days a year actually i could i feel now i could go to the airport blindfolded and uh, i soon realized that my wife is earning decent money doing a job with jet airways and in fact she found your future wife my yeah my my girlfriend then and uh, and she is actually funding all my expenses and that somehow was something was not acceptable and i thought ki i must start doing something and immediately after graduation my mom was very clear i am not going to give you single rupee i am not going to let you stay at home if you do not contribute in our house so you have to do something and the day the graduation got over she put me on to a job uh, this was a textile company which was in the interiors of andheri somewhere ahead of sakinaka and i was so reluctant to go somehow i pulled it for 3 months after 3 months i said now i have learned what textile business is all about in 3 months <laughs> in 3 months <laughs> and i think i'm going to start that you know in fact uh, i missed one thing before that yeah. so just uh, so doing i when i was doing the job uh, the it was diwali time and i was given a gift by the owners of the textile company a small gift which was uh, basically uh, 
it had a keychain uh, wallet and a uh, holder so it was a leather case and very beautiful and i was i bought it home and next day my sister and a friend were talking and her friend was doing a job at hindustan river and she was saying oh we are launching this new product and you know and uh, my boss has asked me to look at some gift that we need to give corporate gift corporate gift i just pulled out this gift that i had received and i said this is what i can supply so <laughs> you have no clue how no to do it yeah and uh, she then said okay i'll show it to my boss and let's see what he says next day i get a call that like my boss has called you to meet him so i went to church gate and uh, this is where i was 21 that time and you're not scared that how you're going to do this nothing nothing so i didn't even have a clue that what is this made of it was i just gave it to her and then the boss called me and said i will like this so at what price can you give it to us mm-hmm. sell it to us so i said some 800 bucks per piece so he said done But how did you arrive at that eight hundred? Just, just out of the whack, I just gave a number eight hundred rupees, and he said, "Dan, I'm giving you an order for five hundred pieces. So, on what name should I make a purchase order?" And I had no clue that I had no company, nothing. I couldn't say my person name. I just blurted out Delta Exports. Delta Exports. Yeah. So my <laughs> my uncle had a company called Delta Communications, <laughs> and uh, since it was a leather thing, I thought it should look like an export, export. thing. So I called the Delta Exports. He said, "Okay, we'll issue a purchase order in the name of Delta Exports." And immediately order worth some three lakh rupees odd. I was having in my hand, and this I went back home and I said, "I've received this order of three lakh rupees. Now what do I do?" So. someone told me dharavi is a place where you can actually go and check leather goods are made there but who do you talk to when you come home you talk to your my parents my mother my parents yeah and so. they don't get shocked and they don't feel that they what is always supported me in anything and everything i did they never felt that you know because they had a lot of confidence in me a lot of trust in me that i would not do anything wrong and whatever i'm doing i'm trying my hands at things so i went to dharavi i started talking to all these shop owners manufacturers there someone quoted me 1200 1500 Bumped up on a person who said, "I'll give it to you some four hundred fifty or five hundred, some compromiser in there on the look and feel." I said done, and after that, I got it manufactured. I took a loan from my grandmother because money was required. This guy said that for this young boy coming to us, how will he actually will he pay us? So I gave him an advance of one lakh rupee from taking a loan from my grandmother that time, and then the order was converted for thousand pieces. I made some two two and a half lakh rupees in that one shot. And you were twenty-one years. I was twenty-one year old, and that money was big that time because my job, what I was, my mom had put me up was for three and a half thousand rupees. So three and a half thousand rupees monthly salary, and then I make two two and a half lakh rupees. I said, Mom, I don't need to do the job anymore. I'm going to do business. I have the capital also now. Hmm. That is how I left the job. And so that was first as I made a gift article. Then I said I will start a textile company called Neetex Creations. I manufactured some textile goods. Embroidered cloth, tried to sell it. That bond didn't work well. Did a lot of things, and I thought no paper bags should be the in thing. So set up a company called Willow Paper Craft. Um, again, got went to some companies, got an order, supplied that. So tried my hands from the age of twenty one till twenty four in three or four things. Kept myself busy, and of course my primary job was still to go to the airport and come back from there. <laughs> <laughs> and in all these business that you were folding up, you were losing. No, that was my mantra. Know, I would never do a business at all. 
I, once I got into something, I invested. One thing I was very clear, I cannot lose money. Come what may, I have to recover my capital at least. And if I felt, no, this is not proving to be the right business, it's really taking up too much of my time, it's not interesting for me, I would fold it up. But at least I would make sure. So even when I made the textile goods, I tried to sell at a 60-70% margin. I could not sell at that margin. I then eventually sold it off at cost. But then I recovered my money. Even with Willow Paper Craft, there was hardly any investment. There was no investment. I tied up with my local printer there who had printed my visiting cards. So I didn't have to make any investment. Went and got an order finally. Uh, that gave me some 30,000, 40,000 order. I said, okay, eight, nine, five, six, nine months, whatever I put. Again, folded up that business, but never lost money. That was something I could never even dream of because you know, to lose money is something that I never could imagine. So then what happened? Then the time came that I had to get married at age of 24. So it was three years, uh, 21 till 24. My then girlfriend was pressurizing me. My parents, my mother, she had lost her father earlier on. So it's pressurizing me to get married. We have to get married or else I'll get married elsewhere. But I had my elder sister. I was like, I cannot get married till my elder sister gets married. So when I was 24, in the month of November, my elder sister got married. That is the time I called her, introduced her to all my family members. And I told everyone that she's a girl I want to marry. And God blessings of everyone. And December, we got married. So within a span of one month of my sister's marriage, we got married in the month of December in 1997. But what was the hurry? You were not earning at that time. I know the hurry was, as I told you, that even okay. there was pressure from her family that she has to get married and they didn't want to keep her. Uh, and they were not insecure that she's marrying somebody who is as yet not earning. Oh, that is a very small issue. Uh, just to highlight here, um, my, I'm uh, from a Marwari background, Marwari family. And my wife is uh, from a Muslim family. Actually, she's Irani. Yeah, she is a Irani, Shia Irani. And... Uh, extremely orthodox, extremely conservative family. Our marriage in itself was no short of a Hindi film. It's uh, nothing short of a Hindi film. And we went to a lot of ups and downs to get married and uh, don't want to get into too much details of that, but somehow we did manage to get married. And after... So at that phase, it was now or never? Yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, we... First, her mother agreed because she felt, you know, that, okay, if my daughter wants, let her get married to this guy. And I don't think so earning and all was too much of a concern during those days because we have so many decent family. I was making some money here and there. And and finally, I had this two, three businesses that I could talk of that I have a new text creation, Delta Export, I had a variety of cards with me. So I could (laughs) 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 do three, four businesses. But then her... uh, Family members came down and they resisted the marriage. And that is when the things got things got a bit ugly. But eventually we did get married. And uh, immediately after marriage, in fact, uh, just before marriage, six months before that, she had joined British Airways. So five, four years she worked with Jet Airways and then British Airways. Immediately after marriage, uh, started meeting her colleagues from BA and uh, Everyone was doing well off their boyfriends or their husbands and what does your husband do? And she always <laughs> used to feel that. <laughs> and very, very dumbstruck. You know, what do you tell? What does he do? Because there's actually nothing. I was literally just sitting at home. So, that, so my 
I used to keep my money safe and monthly this is the amount I used to take out for expenses and whatever. So money was there. So it's not that I was not having money. So I was confident that money is in our house. But the fact of the matter was that there was no work. So immediately after marriage then I realized that when I was sitting at home, this is going to be like this. If I have to work, if I have to really do something meaningful, I'll have to step out of the house. And uh, so within six months of our marriage, uh, I, so we, my parents had a car and uh, we used to get it repaired at one of my, I would say, friend because I used to go to him every time. So he said, Neeraj, let's set up a garage. I said, yeah, let's do that because I have some ideas around it. So that is the time when... But did you really have an idea or you didn't have an idea? No, no, there was an idea. So everything I wanted to do was unique. So never do something which was, so even below paper craft was really... I think it was, I was ahead of times to think of having paper bags because that time people really didn't value too much of paper bags. So even with the garage thing, I knew that we didn't have a lot of capital. Both of us put together invested uh, some 70-80,000 rupees, 40,000 each. Um, and uh, that is the time, in fact, my wife also gave me that capital that was required. And um, This is the time it was uh, 1997? 98. 97 December we got married 98 and uh, we thought that okay if we have to set up a garage we can't afford a big place so we have to set up in a place where the other garages are so and you are 32 years old by no no that time I was 27 okay and um, so that went, um, we looked at a place at Andheri Link Road there were at least 50-60 garages the entire lane was filled with garages and we thought that if we have to make some money, we have to be in the market. If I open a garage in a cloth market, it's not going to work. So we need to set up a garage where everyone is. And we thought we'll set it up a different thing. So although it was a tin shed, which was like a normal roadside garage, but put up a large board, called it elite class. And when I say elite class, it was like it was not meant for the ordinary people. Only people who can afford to enter our garage should come to us. So created differentiation from the other garages. Built a small cabin. But besides it. calling it elite class, yeah. how else was this potential shed was looking elite? Yeah, so what we made elite was I built a small cabin inside where the customers could come and relax. So while the car was getting attended. While the car was getting attended. Wow. So this was something we made him sit there. And uh, interiors were like I painted it well, didn't make it, didn't make it look shabby, although it was thin, but it was very neatly kept out. Uh, mechanics were in uniform and all those things. So small expenses, but this little thing matter. And uh, called it complete car care, elite class, complete car care. And started with the annual maintenance contract concept. So had uh, brochures made, membership cards made, car stickers made. And whoever came to us, we used to tell them that we could maintain your car for the entire year at an X amount. And we'll give you a membership card and there's a sticker that will be there. We'll give you towing service. Uh, we'll give uh, give you whatever washing free and all this oil change, and so we could we gathered somewhere close to two hundred odd members in less than a year, 
And I thought somehow this is still not enough. So I went out and got some co- corporate contracts. How do you get the corporate contracts? So I went to these corporates. I went to a building. If there are some companies there, go and meet them. So just I actually, walk in. Just walk in. Just walk in. So I there's no one going to come to you. You have to go out and scout for business. business. And people call you inside the cabinet. Yes, yes. So he had to go and talk to the right people. So got at least three big contracts. There was a large company called Afcons that time. Then I got a contract with Blue Dart. I got a contract with Sony. We were actually started managing all their cars because they fed up spending money at the large service stations, uh, authorized dealers, and they could not go to the local garages because the companies wouldn't allow that. So we were a perfect fit for them. Hmm. And within a year, probably we were the best working garage in that area. We were having cars lined up in lanes next to the lane where we were operating, and nothing less than 25, 30 cars were being repaired at any given point. And what was your manpower? So we. Eventually, I wouldn't remember very well, but eventually we would have had nothing less than around 15 to 20 mechanics and body paint uh, work and car denting, polishing. So, so many aspects, electricians. So, nothing less than around 20 or people who were working with us. And as we went along, then this is the time when we have started building relationships with the corporates. From Blue Dart, I uh, built relationships with Tata's and that is, and Tata admin head was... I would call him a mentor to a certain level. He said, Anita, you're coming out with a bus contract. And if you are interested, you can apply for it. I asked my partner, Sarun, this is a good opportunity. You think we should do this? He said, Nay, Anita, you're doing so well in a garage. I don't want to invest and take the risk. This is a huge investment. What if that fails? I said, I'm interested, Arun. So is it okay if I go ahead and do it? He said, yeah, you carry on. If you want, you move out of the garage business. I will manage the garage and you do that. So that is the time I left the garage business within a year's time and got my first contract in transportation. Now, when you got this, was it just you they were thinking of or they had called other people? Of course, they had called other people and uh, there was a proper tender process. Tata's being Tata's, they were very clear that <coughs> the contract will go through the right process. But again, uh, we thought... So there, I think the other guys put a smaller figure... No, no. So what happened is that, you know, I knew that there are these operators who would be quoting as well. If I have to have an edge, we must create a proposition which is unique. So in 1999, we created a AC luxury coach, which was probably one of its kind in Mumbai. This had reading lights, call bell, a board. Uh, TV inside, a refrigerator inside, a microphone if you want. So it was like a conferencing facility you could have inside and luxury seats. And, and these people were zapped. Okay, you could do something like this. Can you build a bus like this? Can you build a coach like this? Yes, I said, of course we can. And that is why the differentiation that we created again, uh, value proposition that we created again, actually helped me in getting the contract. But how did you build this? Because you, it is not as if you had built it earlier ever. So there are these coach makers. So I got in touch with one coach maker in Vasai, gave him my specifications, my requirements. And so all these things can be sourced. And he so built you made this one bus? One bus. That is the which first was one. going to this... Uh, uh, Tata company. And you were fleeting them? Yeah. So basically this uh, Tata Infotech was uh, uh, IT company. And they had five offices in Mumbai. 
so they wanted a bus service for their executives to move around his five offices so they wanted a shuttle service which moves from one office to other office at fixed timing so people don't have to worry about taking a cab or something because transportation was not so funny at that time and that is why they launched this service so my job was very simple this bus is to be parked below our society i had two employees one cleaner and one driver and i had a computer at home and a printer at home once a month i used to print one invoice take it to the company and that is it so again life was smooth so again came back working from home what was the capacity of this bus this was a 14 seater coach okay it's mini coach and uh, this went on for a year and again life was smooth we had a decent uh, billing and the margins were okay so i was making enough money and uh, things were going on smooth and then you were restless again yeah again so i would say relationships were there and i said okay let us go out and try and get more contracts so that is i got a second bus contract i got one contract from mastic and i had almost three buses operating by the time by the year 2000 and uh, but i was operating from home and then in the year 2000 this concept of bpos came in india that is uh, business process outsourcing call centers as you popularly call them and uh, tata infotech tied up with a us based company called cytel and they said we are setting up a call center in india and we need people to be dropped and picked up during the night time it was a unique concept no one knew how to pick up and drop people in the night time i said i have this coach i can provide it to you and we have work out a rate they said yeah okay let's start the service within a month's time uh, they ramped up to some 50 60 people so one coach so they said no we need three coaches i gave them three coaches but then they said no the travel time is too much we need smaller vehicles so i said okay i'll get a tata sumo then and within a year they were close to some 500 or 600 people and i was operating some 30 40 50 or vehicles and things started rolling very quickly and my occupation from day time shifted to night time and blessing in disguise was that my wife used to have a flight during the night because being an international flight going to london so i used to drop her to the airport and then go and do my work in the night and then again i had to go and pick her up in the night time i used to go do the work also in the night so it was a good mix and balance for me and uh, from the year 2000 till 2005 there was a boom in the power center industry call centers and bpos are coming up in india i think 2000 was a boom time in india we saw a lot of media houses coming up we saw airlines coming up we saw bpos being set up we started providing vehicles to all these companies and from one bus in the year 2000 by 2006 we are operating close to some 1500 or vehicles and probably and present in some seven cities across india and probably amongst the top 3 companies in the country So were you now living like a very rich man? Not really. In fact, uh, I was. We are still staying in the same old Shalaka building. And uh, between two thousand one, I think by two thousand four, I bought a small office because it was becoming difficult to operate out of home. And for first three years, I operated out of home. But then uh, my family was getting disturbed, and every time people coming to house, so a very small office, probably hundred square feet office. Uh, at andheri again and uh, by 2005 we were having close to around 300 employees working for us mm. 
and uh, of course the strength of drivers and all was different so business had grown we were making decent money but still living out of the same place in andheri sharaka but what was the perception of other people were they looking at you as a very rich man were you coming in the eye of a storm mm, actually it so happened that you know uh, yeah so i was making decent money and uh, i think somehow the perception was that in mumbai we would be operating i think around 1000 odd vehicles 800 or 1000 odd vehicles and by 2005 somehow i think people started feeling competition i don't know what that i own these vehicles somehow i didn't own a fleet of more than 300 odd vehicles uh, but uh, there was a perception that i'm making a lot of money and uh, it was probably getting into the eyes of some wrong people as well and were they threatening were there extortion calls yeah so 2005 is the time when i received my first uh, that was first call uh, and this was the day when there were uh, there were floods in mumbai and that is a time when that was one of the most harrowing days of my life because uh, uh, cars were stranded my office was flooded my wife and her friends who had come down from uk they were stranded at some club they had gone to and then in this is the call i receive and this guy just tells me mai dubai se bol raha hu i immediately realized that why who i don't that the hell no anyone from dubai this is some not a right call I started recording that call and uh, this was an extortion call and the call was he said that we want 2 crore rupees and you better start arranging for it or else we are going to kill so this was a very cold blooded statement he made and and then the calls continued for almost a year uh, and but somehow i had police protection and there was anti extortion cell that was constantly involved in the case and eventually by the year 2006 the calls faded away and uh, the extortion threat got away so how did the meru cabs come about so you know it happened so that the calls were becoming so painful for us for my family they started calling at our home and and threatening my wife and my parents and uh, i was losing my patience one day i went to the cid office and i said sir you know these calls are becoming a menace i can't take it anymore and he lost it and he said you can't take it anymore then we can't do anything more than this i said that then i don't want to live in this country I said then leave the country and that is the time i felt so hurt i said if this is the kind of statement i am going to be made and it's best that i leave this country i don't want to live in this country and since my wife was working in british airways i thought we could she could take a transfer to uk and maybe i start a new life in london and i thought let me wind up my business and that is how i started looking out for an investor who could buy my business and fortunately it so happened uh, by 2000 when i started this process of looking out for someone to buy the business we had also applied for a radio taxi license at time because we knew in mumbai the black and yellow cabs were really not up to the mark and there were a lot of improvements a scope of improvement and traveling world over thanks to my wife we saw the kind of public transportation that was available like in singapore uk anywhere you go and somehow india was not really to that level 
and i felt there is a great opportunity that if they're able to put a service like what you see internationally so along with the government we came out with a scheme where we could launch a highly advanced version of taxis in india country in mumbai and that is how the entire thought process started the government issued us a license for 10000 taxis in mumbai and that is but how you thought of this license to apply for out of the blue out of the blue so yeah again so you know i was busy with my work every time you're just following your instinct and yes, you're jumping yes, into yes. it so you know that is what i think it is all about bhavna that you know you have to take decisions you have to try things out you have to take a risk and somehow i was never scared of taking risk and i would again give full credit to my family for that because whatever i did they always supported they never said hey why are you taking these things why are you doing these things it could lead to a loss or this is something you should not try whatever i wanted to do they always supported me and as i said earlier money was something which never moved me so since i never worked for money i never had a fear of losing money so i felt okay let us try what what would happen let us give it a shot so taking a license for 10000 cabs in mumbai was a very very big thing and i said we'll try it out and i didn't even know after i get a license of 10000 cabs how it would because the cabs a car cost at that time was around 5 lakh rupees and if i have to convert 5 lakh into 10000 the investment only on the cabs alone was 500 crores and then other investments put together it would go to some 600 crores and i doing a small business but i always dreamt big i thought kar lenge kuch na kuch tarike se ho jayega so as i said i was we were looking out for investor we came across this investor they said we will not buy your business but we can invest in your video taxi business and i said i'm very happy so first uh, 10 crores that i bought through them was by way of debt so it was a loan they said because they said uh, we don't know whether this is succeed it might fail and the government you know people might not accept there could be challenges there is a union issue in mumbai and it might just not take off i said no problem give me a loan of 10 crores and if it doesn't work i'll pay you back that too with interest so took that risk and that is how partnered with them in 2006 and eventually launched meru in 2007 why did you call it meru so you know uh, Again, that is a very interesting story. Uh, Because I thought it was after your daughters. Yes, you asked me. So actually, it is that was not that was that was not planned. You know, it was not planned. It has to be named after my daughters. So we had appointed a branding agency, and uh, they were like coming up with some names like Speed Cabs and uh, some very generic names. So one of my friends suggested, "Either tell them to make it a lateral name." I honestly didn't understand what a lateral name. I just said, "Kiran, you have to think of a lateral name." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's when he came up with his name Meru. And uh, so the okay again, the name Meru was because we conducted a workshop, and he said, "Why are you doing this?" He said, "The reason you want to do this is you want to really offer something which is reliable for the citizens of Mumbai. People can't trust a black and yellow cab." Because you know they are all they most of the time not in a good shape and you know you don't know how much you pay for them so we want to build a reliable service. So Meru in Indian mythology is basically a mountain which is which was used for Sagar Manthan and it is supposed to be a mountain which of which is supposed to signify great strength and reliability. When that is how the name Meru emerged, that is the theory he gave us. And I called my wife. I said. 
how do you like this name? She said, yeah, a very nice name. I think she'll go with this. That is how the name Meru came up. After a year, one of our friends told her, so why did you name the your cab service after your daughter? I said, no, how, how do you say that? I said, why it is Mahek and Ruhi Meru? I said, yeah, what a coincidence. They'll never realize that, but it was just a coincidence. Mm. So then after doing the Meru launching, the first radio taxi, um, everybody was loving it. Then what happened? So the dream the, crashed? Uh, so yeah, but uh, just to give a perspective. So from 2007, when we launched 30 cabs, by 2011, we are operating close to 7,000 cabs in our country. And we were by far the most Sorted. largest recognized brand when it came to cabs. And we were a household name. I don't think so. People could swear by Meru because they felt that it is extremely reliable service. And we are really doing a good job. And then this new age of technology and VC funding came up where venture capitalist money started being available. And global competition came in through Uber and then there was a local company which was set up and extremely well-funded company. If I have to give you a perspective, uh, if we would have invested 400 crores, these these two companies alone put together and invested 40,000 crores into the business. So when you have a tsunami of money coming your way and kind of money burn, a couple of companies are ready to do, it becomes very difficult to fight a battle like that. So whatever you might try and say and might try and do, to fight a battle against such money power is all this stuff. So what is the current position? So what happened after that? So in 2013 is when we started feeling the heat and our business started going down. But we felt that, okay, we don't have that kind of money. But uh, it's best that at least we sustain the business that we have. So we sustained our business for the next six, uh, three to four years. We didn't grow like the competition. We were fairly large, still very large. But when compared to the competition, we would seem smaller. And by 2017, we were having an existential question mark because the revenues were not enough, the costs were going up and our investors had said, Neeraj, we can't invest beyond this. That is when we, they said that if you think you can get money and if you could raise money, we are okay. So for one, one and a half year, I actually worked extremely, extremely hard to talk to investors to invest into Miru. And... Uh, Eventually, in 2019, which is last year, Mahindra and Mahindra Limited has taken a majority stake in our company. And again, we have some big plans to come back and fight the battle. So, are you thinking of some other business too? No. So, right now, Baba, the this is what I've been doing for the last 20 years. So, I was reading your book and certain images stay in my mind. Uh, for example, the author says that, you know, whatever he accomplishes, but at heart, he's still the vada pao and cutting chai garage yeah. guy. Yeah. So do you still go to that place to have your cutting chai yeah, and vada yeah. pao? If I don't know, Varna, as I said, I always felt that I have not done much in life and I still feel there's a lot to be done. So I, and I could only relate to more to people who are actually working on the ground. So I'm a guy who loves being with the drivers, who loves being with the frontline team members. And that is, so I would, I 
till date even today i would go down and have a cup of tea and vadava with my colleagues and friends i would go down and have a roadside manchurian and fried rice with my workers so that is something is not that i feel low i am doing it to pretend or try to win them over i love doing it i it comes naturally to me and i'm very happy doing it so in the journey one also senses like you said from your childhood everything is based on relationships right it's with your team it's with your family yeah. it's with your clients yes. and that has been your enrichment right so uh, this comes to you completely natural yes yeah, so i think it is a trait bhavna so i have always believed a lot in being true to our relationships to being honest to what you do in life and uh, i think that is what has kept me going and i value people i i am very duty bound i feel responsible towards the society towards my family towards my workers or my drivers and uh, i think that is what keeps me going you know it's not easy to deal with drivers because they are a class by themselves they have temperaments they have very late working hours there are too many pressures most of us are desensitized towards their desires so how does how do you yeah. balance all that and so, what is this uh, meru utsav yeah so pama i think you know the difference between a rich and a poor man is that you know a rich man could be made to change the way he thinks and does things with money but a poor man is what he expects or respect because he is really not looking at anything more than having his two course meal in a day so if you are able to give him the respect Yeah, you have to put your arms around his shoulder and say that you, I'm standing by next to you. You don't worry. I think that is what it looks for. I've always believed in being close to my driver community, and uh, when we during our heydays, we used to have festivals called as Nirutsa, where we would call the drivers and their families and the children, and would have literally a film fair kind of event. And I'm telling you, it was no short of. Uh, event which was of such a magnitude where we would have performances, mimicry, awards, have some swings and astrology counters and chart counters, and you know that is what actually make them made them feel connected to us. This is what moved them, and I felt that was the least we could do for the people who work so hard. One of the imageries that stays in my mind is. Uh... that when you were not yet working you would drive to a uh, bandstand and sit down on the bench and dream big yeah why bandstand when you were living in andheri because you could see the skyline so yeah, so basically i had a bike that time and when young and you have a bike you would really want to ride around yeah. and bandstand was a area which was calm and soothing and and it was not many people were there around in the in panchayat area in fact so you reach and all if you go it's so crowded so it was a good place to introspect to think to un- plan to strategize because i really believe that you know it is all about thinking and if you are able to think and do things uh, put it into perspective to actual execution later on is what matters so and the, the thoughts i think come more when you are alone so come much much better when you are alone so maybe that's it so is it better for somebody to rise in partnership or solo 
I think it is each one to its own dharma. So I've had a, a mixed experience. I think uh, it is all upon an individual. Uh, if you are a person who are, uh, have the ability to adjust, if you have the ability to accept, uh, you can work in partnerships. But if you are too stubborn, where you want to do things only your way, you will find very difficult to work in partnerships. So I think with maturity, with the age, you are able to accept partnerships. You are able to accept investors. You are able to accept that there are people who are going to question you. When you are young, probably you are more brash. And that is a time you are not able to accept partnerships very well. So what are your advice for somebody who is starting up? That they should follow the heart or the head? So they should follow the heart and do things with the head. So I think one must think big and one must think differently. One must always think that why should I do what others are doing? One should think only why I should do something what others are not doing. Take the difficult path. I think people like to say, oh, I will open a restaurant because you know this, these guys are doing so well. I would not open a restaurant because that guy is doing well. I would open a probably a thing which probably is not working well because that is where the opportunity is there. So I would think that uh, think big and think differently. Most of them don't know when to fold up. Yeah. They become like gamblers and think that, okay, let me try this, let me try this. Yeah. So how do how does a businessman or an entrepreneur know that now it's time to fold up or now it's time to expand? Business is all about Decisions. Decisions. And sometimes tough decisions have to be made. And you can't be emotional about your business. You can be passionate about your business, but you can't be emotional about it. If the calling is that it is not working for you, if it is not going the way you had planned and you have done everything possible within your means to try and sustain or grow the business, I think it's best to just wind it up. So, and move on and try something else. So... I think it is a difficult thing, but people tend to get emotional and more so in India and stick to the businesses. But I would think if it's not working, just move on to the next one. Does one take bigger risks when one is younger and does one become a little more scared as one gets older? I don't think so. I think it is all about responsibilities. So if you have more responsibilities attached around you, it could be whether even you are young or whether you are old, uh, you tend to take lesser risk. You tend to be more conservative in your approach. You want to be cautious and do things, thinking of all the surroundings around you. Luckily for me, my family has been very supportive. So let it be when I was young and let it be today. I still go out and take all the risk. So what is your biggest fear? I don't know, Bhavna. In fact, you know, thought in that direction that what is my biggest fear? In the book, you say that your biggest fear is uh, getting into a comfort zone. Yeah. So then you will get complacent. Yeah, so maybe that thought does come in my mind sometimes, but uh, I wouldn't call it a fear because that is a trait. And uh, I don't like sitting idle, not doing anything. I think I am a kind of workaholic. I like working a lot. I like being with people. I like doing things. And uh, it is not fear, so to say, yes, uh, but it is something which I would really not want to do in my life, that not do anything. I would like to die working. Thank you, Neeraj Gupta. This has been a wonderful conversation because I don't normally meet businessmen as such. 
and even the uh, CEOs and the chairmen that I talk to are all related to the entertainment business. But uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you, Baba. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. That was the story of Meru Cabs, and there are many takeaways from the conversation. Follow your dream, plunge into risks, value relationships, listen to your heart and to your head also, and think big. You are listening to Game Changers on Meri Kahani. I'm Bhavna Somaya on Epilog Media, and you can access the podcast on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Geo Seven, Spotify, Hub Hopper, and more.